Hey, I want to speak this morning just uh, obviously about resurrection, but a, a direction and where that, where that goes. I was thinking when we, our last couple of years in, in Maine, somebody gave us a white station wagon. It's not like this one. This is a Dodge Dart, but it looked a lot like this. They gave it to us because they were leaving the country. It didn't work. And we didn't have the money to fix it, and, and I didn't know how to fix it. And so our, our driveway in Maine came down this little hill, and there was like this little turnoff, and then it went down to our house. The whole thing was maybe 50 yards. So we pulled it in that little turnoff, and it was there for a couple of years. It almost became like a lawn ornament for us because it never, we never really did anything with it. We had, you know, we had a vehicle that worked, and so we just made that work, and that thing just sat there lifeless. And, it, you know, after a couple of years, I don't know why in the world, but Josh and a couple of his friends, some of you know Stuart, so Josh and Stuart and Stu's sister, they decided they were going to get in the car and play, like some of us did, you know, in abandoned cars when we were kids. So they got in this car that had been sitting there and found out that we weren't using it, but some yellow jackets were. And so <laughs> they got in there, and one of them, I don't know what happened, maybe I blocked that because that was bad parenthood, whatever. But I just remember they booked out of there. And I was thinking this week, I was some, for whatever reason, I was thinking about that station wagon again. I thought, man, not only was it lifeless, but because it stayed lifeless, it became dangerous, you know? So here you, here you move over to the story of Jesus, and he is lifeless. I, I love that Sunday's coming video because, man, if there's anything that gets across just how bad it was on Good Friday or how lifeless Jesus was, it's that video that just takes you all the way through that. So he is lifeless. And things that are lifeless become dangerous. So God brings him back, back from the dead. That tomb opens up and, and he comes out of the grave and our hope is to come out of the grave and I think God just has a history of bringing things back to life. He, you start with Adam that he gave life to, and then Sarah's womb that he enabled to have life, and then Joseph, who's just in a, living a ripped-off life in, in jail, and who he gives his life back to, or, or David, who has no life because he's out in obscurity and gets life, or, or Mary, that, Jesus, uh, that the Holy Spirit puts life into her, or you think of Lazarus and others that are raised from the dead. It's just Lazarus, the only name we know in, in the Gospels. And all of them experience this ability of God to bring life in where there's, where there's not life or where there's this shortened kind of life or this deprived kind of life. But with Jesus, it's giving life at a whole different level because nobody was as dead as Jesus I mean, what, when you read the Gospels and then if you do a little reading like so many of you have about what did it mean to be crucified by the Romans? I remember reading one time someone said Ro in, in crucifixions, Romans had perfected the art of torturing somebody to death. You know, they usually took a couple days for someone to die. That's why Pilate's so surprised Jesus is already dead. So he is dead, dead. And yet God brings him back, brings him back to life. In that, and he comes, brings it back to life whole. I mean, he brings it back, and so he has the scars. In fact, I was listening to a podcast yesterday. I never thought of this, but said he has the scars so that they would know it was really him, and it wasn't just someone new that God had substituted in for him. It's him. That, that so they see the, the scars and the spear in his side, like Thomas wanted to know that it really was him. God brings him back whole, and it's, he's real. He eats with them and talks with them, so they know this is not a ghost. It's a real, 
It's a real resurrected life. And so God has just brought him back and, and given him total life. So Jesus becomes like this bridge for us from heaven to us, from heaven, from heaven and the life of heaven now to life here. And so some of you talked about your stories and where you were, and, and I was one of the ones saved on an Easter. On Easter, the life of heaven connected with me, and I received eternal life. Because Jesus was that bridge now for that to, to, ta- that to take place, that I, I put my faith in him, that he had paid for my sins, and that I was forgiven because of what he had done, and that was the only thing I was going to trust, and asked him to, to save me and come into my life, and he bridged eternal life. And then the New Testament will tell me that the mind and the wisdom of heaven, it gets bridged to, to us because of the cross. And so James can say something like, if you lack wisdom, ask God and, and he'll give it to you. Or, or let this mind which is in Christ be in you. There's a bridge from that. But the bridge we need to get a hold of today, wherever your relationship is with the Lord Jesus, if you're walking with him, this is a good season, you need to grab onto this. If you are just, just drifting you need, to, you need to grab onto this. Or, or if you're on live stream and you're deconstructing your faith, you need to get a hold of this because the connection from heaven to us is a connection of power. That God wants the power that Jesus experienced to be operative in our lives so that we can talk about the changes. These aren't changes that people have experienced aren't because they tried harder or they got smarter. It was because in getting saved, something took place in their life. There was a whole new dynamic to to bring about that change. And the apostles, they became passionate about making sure people heard that message. These men who ran away from Jesus when he was crucified, they put themselves right in the spotlight of danger for the rest of their lives to make this message about Jesus being the bridge known. And they'd go into different cities and, and we get some of the letters of the cities they went to to say, this is the bridge you need of, of what Jesus has brought to us. This is what you're struggling with. This is what you need from him and that he provides for you. And so they would go into cities and they would preach that or these letters that we have or, or the prayers that they would pray so that people would know this is, what, this is what God has for you. I'm just trying to pray that into reality. And so I want to drop in on one of those prayers this morning. It, it's actually it's probably my favorite prayer of the different prayers you find in the, in the letters in Ephesians chapter 1. So let me have you go there with me to Ephesians 1 and, and drop in on this prayer that Paul makes for the Ephesians. Here's a couple prayers that we love in Ephesians. Ephesians 1, we get started in verse 15. That's where the prayer starts and then go through the end of the chapter. There's just a couple of verses that I want to look at. He says, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, 
which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So here's this prayer Paul's making for the Ephesians, and he prays it for us. He says, you know, I'm praying, I've heard of your faith. This is a prayer for the saints, for people that have stepped into, into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a prayer, he says in verse 16, that he can't stop praying. I I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you. I just can't stop praying this for you. I'm so thankful for you, and I'm so burdened that you experienced this. And it's a prayer that they will have insight, really, when when you get to that point. He says, I want you to... Look at how many times in different ways he's going to say that the, the, may, he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. In 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Why? So that you may know. I mean, this is a prayer that you will get insight, that you will be able to see and understand and know that you know and experience. It's a word, there's different words in the original. This is a word that you'll be able to experience. It will become part of your life story, what he's, what he's praying for us here. And what he's praying for us is when you look at the different things he prays for, watch what they call in Bible study this, the law of proportion, which means if something gets more space, then God is trying to make a statement. And so he's got three prayer requests. His first prayer request is that in verse 18, you will know what is the hope to which he's called you, that you will know that the hope that he's given to you is enough and it's worth it. And if you are worshiping Jesus somewhere in a prison in Iran, you want this kind of hope that lets you know this is worth it. So hope is his first request. And the second request, and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So people aren't sure whether that means we are God's inheritance. You know, this, this inheritance that he has in the saints is part of that. I guess it's he rejoices in us. That'll blow your mind, won't it? That not only does, did God love you, and not only was Good Friday for you personally, but that God is glad he gets to have you for eternity? That's just, you know, for some of your families, as you're saying, that's just totally out of the dark. So number two, once you know hope, once you know what is the riches of his inheritance, and then here's his third request, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, that I'm praying that you will know and that you will experience power like that in your life. So the challenge this morning is not so much in the direction of we need to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. The challenge for us is we need to open ourselves up to that resurrection power operating in our lives, in every area of life, in, in your relationships, in your life, and the things that you struggle with, in your goals, and your plans, and all of those things. God's heart for us is, is um, oops, sorry about that. Let me get back here. There we go. Yep. That the power of Jesus' resurrection can be unleashed in us. That's what he needs you to know, is that the power of his resurrection can be unleashed in you. And you need to hear that, and you need to allow that to drive over the, the things that keep you from areas where you know you need to grow or where you need to have victory or where you need to be reeled in. Things that keep you from or things that keep you down or things that keep you back or things that make you look at this is who I am or this is what I am, that God's heart is that you would allow the power of the resurrection to be unleashed in you so that you'll stop confining yourself there. 
So you'll stop living in the tomb, which is where we end up living when we, when we put those things over us. Well, this is what I've been through. Well, this is where God wants to take you through. If anybody could say, you don't know what I've been through, it would be Jesus. Amen. And yet he's out of that tomb. You know, I, I love, love that song, Glorious Day, you know, because like Gavin pointed out, it wasn't that Jesus came crawling out or that he just came walking out, that he just came running out of that grave. However, you know, however that moment looked, I came, uh, came across a, a graphic this week that I just love because I knew you never pictured this woman, these women who are, are, are you kidding me? Is it really you? Is it really you? And then, yeah, go tell somebody. Sure, I'd love to go tell somebody. But here's this prayer that Paul is making, that the power of resurrection can be unleashed in us. So before you even get there, you almost need to say quietly in your heart, you almost need to pray in your heart, God, would you help me to believe that this really can overcome my whatever it is that keeps you where you are? Some of you, you know, I, I know that you know that God has bigger things for you or wants to use you in significant ways or that area of your life that he wants to set you free in or that area where you run away ahead of him that he can reel you in. You've got to be praying in this moment, God, would you please help me believe this? So that as, you, as we go through the truth, you're, you're able to receive that and to drink that in. Because he, here's his thing here. God is making this huge point. God is not only telling you that the power of Jesus can be unleashed on you, but when you read the passage, you find out that the power of Jesus is the resurrection. It has been unleashed in us. So it's not that you've got to pray and pray and pray and maybe God will do that for you because that's where some of us live. I've said that. I've had people tell me that. I've been praying that God will do that, but he just hasn't done it yet. Yeah, he has. He has. That's why Paul will say, I can, I can do all things. He doesn't say, I'm hoping to be able to do all things. I can do all things. This is why you have this, this passage and where God is trying to say to us, this is some kind of power that I've put in you. And there are different ways that he's emphasizing how much power is active in your life right now. And so he, he does that in, in a couple of ways. Look at the words that God uses. You know, if we're talking about the law of proportion, look at this, the hope to which he's called you, one phrase, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, one phrase. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that's named, not only as sage, but in the age to come. That power. It's like, I want you to know hope. I want you to know inheritance. I want to make sure you get it. You get what I'm saying about power. And so you look at the different words that, that God uses here to make his point. He says in verse 18, he talks about power, which is the word, the word uh, we get dynamite from. People have talked about that so often. It's a word of ability. It's a word of action. It's a word that talk, speaks that there's a living and a dynamic going on. There's a living and a dynamic element going on. You know, you're, you're working out and you're tired. And so the marketing people tell you that if you drink power aid, that that will somehow revive you and, and refresh you. Never worked for me, but, but that's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to pour power into your system and do something with your electrolytes or whatever that's supposed to happen. That God has said to you, I've put that power in you. That, that's there. And then he uses this word working twice, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ. That's the word we get energy from. 
It's a word that you'll see often through New Testament, always supernatural when it's used, that there's something outside of you that's operating at that point. Paul will talk about that, he's, that he is uh, laboring with all of God's energy, all of God's power working through him, that he understood it wasn't him, it was God's power working through him, operating them. It's a supernatural power that God has put into yourself. That's what keeps us from saying, I just don't see myself doing that. Good, because he sees himself doing it and you'll just get in the way. And so he uses that second word. And then you see the word might in here. According, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? According to the working of his great might. Might is a word that, that is a power that overcomes resistance. It's a power that just sees what's in front of it and just goes through it anyway. That's the word that's often used with miracles. That here's an impossible that's just become possible because the might of God is involved in it. And so there are things in front of you that you just can't get past. Maybe, maybe it is your past, or maybe it's something about you or your personality or what you're labeling as your personality that, that's giving, you know, it's giving you permission to stay there. But all of those things that God says, no, I've got might, you know, I'm including this word might so that you know that there's, they're overcoming resistance. I'm just driving over whatever the resistance is and then, actually, this word that we see when it says great might, that word great is not an adjective. It's another word for power. It means strength or power. It's a word that refers to brute force. So, so Paul is praying. He's praying for these Ephesians. God puts it in the forever book so we know this is something he wants to lay on top of us and to say to us, listen, as followers of Jesus, you need to know, you need to get a hold of the fact and believe for yourself that God has put power inside of you. He's put power and might. Uh, he's power and his working and might and, and, and greatness inside of you. It just needs to operate. It needs to be given permission to operate that comes through, through that. I feel like that one of those infomercials, you know, where they say, but wait, there's more. Because <laughs> look at this. It's not just the word God uses, but look at the adjectives he uses. Because he says, you know, it's not just power in verse 19. It's the greatness of his power. It's not just, hey, I want you to know that I'm powerful. I want you to know this power is so great you know, you, you see someone and maybe it's after a game you've played or maybe a game you watch and they say, boy, that guy was really good. No, he was great. It's a, it's a way of exclaiming that. But it's not just greatness of his power. See what he says in verse 19? The immeasurable greatness of his power. That, you know, so sometimes we think, boy, this situation, God, it's going to take a lot from you. And he's in heaven thinking, you can't even measure. You cannot measure how great I am. You've got, in your English language, you've got this word omnipotent. That doesn't even cover me. You're all powerful. Add about 12 alls to that, and, and you're beginning to get close to what I can do. So who you are or stirrings that God does, I, I believe, at different times. I've experienced it. You've experienced this. God is stirring you to, this is what I want to call you into. This is what I want you to do. This is the area of life that I want to transform. And you, we get so hung up on, I don't think I can do that, God. I don't think I can get there. And he's telling you, he has immeasurably great power to make that happen in you or to make you capable. I mean, I mean in the Old Testament, in my own quiet time reading, and, you know, in Joshua, they're getting ready to go in the promised land, except the Jordan is at flood stage. And, and God doesn't open the Jordan. So many of you have read that, you know, until the priest's feet are in the water. 
And so sometimes you, you don't sense that power until you step into the moment, until you start to take the steps that are going to need it. And so we often psych ourselves out, those of us who are overthinkers, you know, just, well, God, you know, you haven't given that to me yet. You know, I need to wait for you. And in heaven, they're saying, no, no, we are waiting on you. But it is there. So he uses those adjectives, immeasurable and greatness of his power, or just the fact that he would package great might, that he would take those two words and link them together. You know, when you link things together, they become stronger. And so he, he doesn't tell you that I just have might, I have great might. I'm putting these two words for power together so that you would, you would know that. So the words he uses, the adjectives that he uses, they, they're trying to emphasize how much power is available for your life as a follower of Jesus. But wait, there's more, <laughs> as he say, because look at the illustration that he uses. Well, like how much power? Like, God, like what are you talking about? You know, you get to go to the mall or you get to go to the store, you know, with your parents as a kid. Our, our grandkids went to the Syracuse Mall last week. That's a big deal for them. Whenever they go to Syracuse Mall, they get to buy something because Syracuse Mall has Build-A-Bear, has the Lego store, has the Disney store. <laughs> so Dan and Bumper are on the phone FaceTiming with them and, and Mommy's telling us, you know, that they're going to the store and they're all excited. Lukey's going to get to go to the Lego store. So we said to them, listen, Nana and Bumpa are going to give you both $20. You know, I wish I would have led with Bumpa and Nana are going to give you $20. Wow. But if you just said, hey, we're going to give you something to go to the store, they're going to be the whole time, well, how much? How much can I spend, Mom? Can I do this? Can I buy this Lego? Can I buy this? And then, as it turns out, Luke bought some Disney bathtub toy, <laughs> instead of, which looked pretty cool. But do you get that sense of some of us move through life? Well, how much, God? How much power am I going to have? I'm not sure I've got enough. This is what I'd like to do. This is what sometimes I dream about doing, or this is what I think sometimes I can overcome. But how much have I got? And God, so God gives you this illustration. You know, how much have you got? The illustration is using that that power is according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So he gives you this illustration of how much power he's got available for you. In heaven, he's saying, listen, if I could take that mangled body that every demon in hell was trying to hold down, and if I could bring that back to life, whole, and healing, and in perfect line with my plan, and if I could sit him over all of those powers of the world, then I can handle whatever it is I'm calling you into. I've got that kind of power that I've put inside of you. You know, for those of you for whom, for those of us for whom fear has been so much a part of our story, well, I wish I would have gotten a hold of that a long time ago. That there is that power, whether it's the power of peace or the power of confidence or the power of certainty. For me, that was the brand of fear that I wrestled with most was certainty. Am I doing the right thing? Is this the right time? Is this the right person? All, all of that. Am I the right person? Do I have enough to do this? However that goes. Whatever, whatever it is about you, this is the illustration he's giving you about how much power he's poured into you for the next step you have or for however it is he wants to use you. It's like the resurrection of Jesus. If I could do that, 
that's the kind of power I'm bringing, I'm bringing to your need right now. For those of you that you're not even thinking that way because you just don't think it's in you. Or for those of you who know and it's been stirring and God's been calling and calling and you've just been resisting because you can't see it. Here it is. Here are the words. Here's the adjectives. And then here's the illustration. You know, he brought Jesus back from the dead. And that's the same power. In fact, there's a great song about that. The same power that rose from Jesus from the dead is at work in us. And so he says, that's the power that's going to save you. In chapter 2, he, he takes that and says, here's the power to save. He says at the beginning of chapter 2, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. This is what your tomb looked like. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That was our tomb. That's where we were living. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. See, there's that resurrection power that comes into your life when you ask Jesus to be your savior, when you ask him to pay for your sins, when you ask him to come into your life and to make you new. There is a resurrection power. Maybe that's what, you, what some of you need this morning. That's your next step. You've known about Jesus. You knew about resurrection. You believed it even. You just never personalized it to what you needed. You may be growing up in a Christian home and, and assuming this is just passed on to you. It's not passed on to you unless you own it for yourself. And then in chapter four, he talks to them about, he talks to us who are followers of Jesus and this transforming that needs to take place in our lives and He'll say in verse 17, I've got to tell you, you can't live like lost people anymore. And in verse 22, he says, you have to put off your old self, which belongs to your former man of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. You need to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. You know, the, what he's doing in us and continuing to do us is, can't be described in any way as an overhaul. He just talks about it as a new self or a new man or that you're new in Christ or that if anyone has come to Jesus, they're a brand new person. Those are the terms that he talks in. And that's the outlaying of his prayer. He prays in chapter one that you'll know this power. And then he tells us this is how this power can work. And this is how this power can live. And then so many new people or people come to Jesus and they're saved and they start to grow and then they find out things get really hard and there's challenges and a pushback or you want to take a step forward and you find out there's a pushback. And so he tells us in chapter six that this power that's, in, that's inside of us, it's strong enough to, to, to come against whatever kind of pushback we get. And so he says in chapter six in verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Three words. For power there. Be strong in the strength of his might and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So there's this pushback whenever you want to grow or whenever you want to serve and things get complicated and they get hard and things come up and he's letting you know there's power for that too. That power that inside of you, that's inside of you will be strong enough even at that moment for a pushback. You know, if you're living in Ephesus at this time, it's a place of power. It's a place of occult demonic power. Remember when Paul's in Ephesus and, and those, those men try to cast out demons because they think that that looks pr like a pretty cool thing to do. And they're, they're not followers of Jesus. They're not saved. And so the demons confront them and then jump them. 
and said everybody became nervous, which that makes sense. But it says even the believers, they brought out all their magic books, all their occult books, and they burned them. And it says how much, how much money that was, but it gives you a sense that that was one dark city where, where dark power was really important and really significant. It was also a really prosperous city. It had the Temple of Diana, Diana one of the seven wonders of the world. And so it was, it was powerful as a place to go. It gave it financial power. And that was one of the reasons there's the riot when Paul's there is because he's disrupting the finances of everybody making idols and people are getting saved. They don't want them anymore. So there's, there's a financial power in Ephesus. And then, of course, wherever there's finding strong finances and a popular place, people are proud. So there's the power of pride. It's to that city that Paul writes this letter and makes this prayer. I want you to know real power. I want you to know the power that raised Jesus from the dead operating in your life and, and in your walk. And I don't want you to downsize what, what Jesus can do in your life. I don't want you to downsize your role in his kingdom or your role in his church. You know, I want to challenge those of you that, that are involved out on the fringe of the church. You might be faithful, but involvement-wise, you're out on the fringe and sometimes that's because of the way we see ourselves or what we have or we don't think we have to offer. But that is denying the power of God in you, that he's equipped you and gifted you to make a contribution, a significant contribution. We're going to need people to be able to do, uh, to do our first steps, to be on the other side of that one-on-one. -on -one. And some of you, I need to challenge you not to talk yourselves out of being that person because God has given you knowledge and experience and and an opportunity to, to pass that on to, to someone else. And so, so here's this prayer that he makes. It, 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 brings us, it brings us from Jesus's resurrection to our lives and how that connects. If he, is he the bridge from heaven's power to your life? Is he that for you as, as a teenager? He's trying to figure out what am I going to do with my life? What's going to be most important in my life? The whole time there's one sitting on a throne with a claim to you and with power available to you. Or as a young adult, where your lives are beginning, you know, your lives are, are soft and they're like clay and they haven't been formed really strong yet in the sense that they're still moldable. You can still make major life changes. And what the power of Jesus operating in you can give you a vision to do with your life. Or to those of us that have walked this journey, who not to be satisfied with this is what the power of Jesus does in my life. It's done. And to realize he is constantly at work. Paul doesn't differentiate. He's praying for the saints, period, not new believers to the exclusion of old believers. He's, he's praying to all of them. So if we, if we wrap, it, wrap it around a couple of questions, one of those first questions would be, do you need to ask Jesus to be your savior? Is that where you need to start so this power can come into your life and help you? I mean, we watch people, like Antoine mentioned, uh, seeing guys get sober or Thursday nights in recovery. We watch people go from, uh, from acknowledging a higher power to then coming to learn this power is Jesus Christ and he is hugely interested in you as a person and has life for you as a person. But you've got to find out that's who it is and invite him in on your own. Or maybe I have a couple of questions that we need to ask ourselves if we walk, to, walk this thing. That sometimes we allow Jesus to tweak our life when he's looking to change our life. 
You know, I mentioned we had that season in our lives when we were in Maine. We were trying to figure out, was Jesus stepping into our lives and calling us to go overseas? Or was he just doing an obedience check to see if we we're willing? That would be a major change. But we, we wanted to be faithful in that. So there are times we're allowing him to tweak, but does he have permission to change? I've got to believe that there are some, some of us, he is screaming to make a big change about your life or your priorities or whatever that is. And you need to hear him and believe that he can make that change and it'll be worthwhile. Or would you say that you are all set or that you're still hungry? This is a, this is a word for Christian home kids. This is, this is a good question for those of us that have known Jesus for a long time. That am, am I set? You know, I've got, got my Christian routine down and it's good. I read the Bible and I'm looking to serve. But the word hungry really wouldn't characterize you. Hungry. You know, blessed are the hungry. Those who hunger and thirst for, for righteousness because they'll be satisfied. Or here's another. Does, does your life or how does your life show that you're still changing? How is it? I mean, Jesus would talk so much about fruit. How does your life show that you're still changing? Can you point to things that you're growing in or, or areas where you're, you're understanding or you're being transformed, no matter how long you've walked with Jesus? And, and then I got one more. Is the growth just about you or does it show up in others? This is one we really need to hear. I mean, Jesus is very interested in your transformation, but he's interested with a view towards using that for others. I mean, isn't that what he says at, tomb, at the tomb? Go tell others. Isn't that what the last thing he said before he went to heaven? Go tell others. So is that growth in what Jesus is doing, is it just about you? Or is it being unleashed in a significant way in other people? Because that's, that's why, he's, that's why he's left us here. So this whole truth that the power of Jesus' resurrection, it's been unleashed in us, and it's been unleashed in us to put to use. I want to close with this verse I, I'm reading in the book of Judges, which is a depressing, terrible time of Bible history. But in the middle of that, there's this judge, and uh, he's going to, to conquer some of the land, and the people, the people that are opposing him are saying, listen, this is, this is our land. Israel took this long time ago, and we want it back. And so they go through this history of, oh, wait a minute. When we were coming up from Egypt, this is everything that happened. And so we took this land. And so this is what this verse in Judges says. Will you not possess what Chemosh, your God, gives you to possess? Hey, you're worshiping Chemosh, this God. Listen, aren't you going to take what he gives you? Because look at how, what they say. And all that the Lord our God has dispossessed before us, we will possess. If God has given us, if God has given this to us, we are going to own it. Boy, fast track that to the resurrection. If God has given you this power, use it. Lord, we just worship you. You know, we worship you that you, you, did, you came out of the grave. You know, I hope we get to see that somehow in a movie in heaven, or we just have perfect knowledge of what that looked like. But we just believe that we believe that we believe that right now you are sitting on the throne so anxious to take this world back over, you know, and to possess what, what belongs to you. And we are so anxious for you to do that, Lord. And so, we, you know, at the end of a, 
of an Easter Sunday sermon, we would just say what you say at the end of your word, even so come, Lord Jesus. But in this in-between time, you have given us, like Peter would say, everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of you, the knowledge that Paul prayed we would have and a knowledge that would be wrapped around the power that you poured into us already, power on par with what you did in Jesus' body on this day. So God, would you help us I know it's on our side to believe it and to step into it, but just crying out to you, would you help us to be able to do that? Would you overcome all of those lies that are going on in our heads right now? They're they're from the evil one. The the evil one that said you weren't coming back from the dead and, and was wrong about there or laughed like Gavin pointed out, you know, laughed on Friday and was horrified on Sunday. So those lies, not you, you can't do this, you're too broken, it's not the right time, all those things, would you expose them for what they are so that we can live in the freedom of your power? Would you do something at Cottage Hill in this season, God, that just shows your power has been unleashed in new ways? Not unleashed on your side of the equation, but unleashed on our side of the equation because we allowed it. It's a time when when our teenagers are in focus in our youth ministry, so God, we just cry out to you for our teenagers, this Boy, this potential for such great things for the kingdom. It's such, a, such an important and great time of life. We just lift our teenagers to you, God, and pray that they would experience this power that you've given to them, that they would see their lives change, that you'd use them in such significant ways. That would bring you glory. It'll cause heaven to rejoice. So that's what we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Let's stand for one last song. In the dark and all alone, growing comfortable, are you too scared to move and walk out of this Buried underneath that you believe safe and sound stuck in the ground too lost to be you're just asleep and it's time to leave come on rise up take a breath you're alive now can't you hear the voice of Jesus calling us out from the grave like Lazarus you're
today and just step into the next step that the Lord is taking us. He is calling us to walk out of the dark. He is giving us new resurrected hearts. He is calling us to walk out of the dark. to just close with Jesus's last words to us. I just want to take a, a moment though that, yeah, I know you appreciate along with me just our worship teams. They decided to, to, to blend together for Easter rather than choose who was over the other. And so, so some of that two teams are here. So it might be a good Sunday just to appreciate our worship teams. Some most that are up here and then some that are out. Steve and Bev had to leave early for family. But yeah, let me give you a moment just to appreciate them. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, good. Yeah, it's good to do that. Yeah, that's incredibly awkward, but yet it's, it's incredibly important that we do that. It's a good feeling that God wants to give. It's almost like the good feeling that I didn't give Pastor Ted because it was his birthday last Saturday. So, but we'll move on. Yeah, so, no, no, oh, no. <laughs> I am a dead man. Okay. Honest, I did not want them to do that, I promise you. <laughs> See, you do that, and I'm the one that's going to pay for that. So, yeah. So. Hey, so let's bring it back to track. Although this is part of what Jesus has done for us. He's made us this family. This is what family does, doesn't it? It embarrasses each other. And, <laughs> and good families appreciate each other. So, hey, at the very end, this is his word. He who testifies to these things, this is Jesus who testifies to everything that you see in the book of Revelation. He says, surely I'm coming soon. And then John says, amen. He says, come Lord Jesus. And here for us in the in-between and the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. So, 
hey, God bless you. We have resources for you at the table if you're new or if you're trying to figure out what you want to do with Jesus. We have some materials we'd love to give you or if you want to take steps to growth, those are there for you. But make sure you take time to, to get to know people and bless people on this Sunday before you go. Amen. Amen.